Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, you know that old cliche saying that the truth will set you free? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Do you believe it's right? Uh, I always thought it was really a weird thing. The truth will set you free. I, I don't know. I well, don't, don't know how much I believe. I guess don't you feel being better? truthful is good. Doesn't it feel good to get stuff off your chest when you've, when you've been holding back and there's something you want to say? Um, sometimes. What's, what's something that you have been holding back that you want to tell me right now? Right now. Right now. On the oh. spot. No planning. Our listeners are going to be like, oh, good night. Is she not over this bucket? Okay, so a few the episodes <laughs> ago, a few months ago, I bought a bucket because my handle was broken for years on my bucket. And then two weekends ago, Matt went to clean the gutters, which is very nice and great. We have the right size ladder. And um, Do you know how much a 10-foot ladder costs? Yeah. It's $300. Yeah. So um, during his cleaning of the gutters, just the he took my, yes, he took my new bucket that had no handle broken and broke the handle. And last night I went to use it and I spilled water all over the place. So right now it's just thrown in our back patio because I'm going to throw it away because who needs two broken handled buckets? Do you want me to get out the duct tape and Gorilla no, Glue? No, no, there's enough duct tape and Gorilla Glue. So... That's what's bothering me, but then, unfortunately, it cycled into, like, you would, you know, people say, we can't have nice things because we have kids. And it cycled through, we can't have nice things because... We have husbands. Because we have husbands, or we have drunk husbands. And I think about all the glassware and things that were broken over time. Did the broken destroyed. bucket really make you think yes, about it? Yes. Wow. It took me to a dark place. Because I was super sober when I was on that ladder. Absolutely. Out the gutters. Super sober or not, I was extremely pissed. Because you were aggravated that I spent the $8 on a new bucket. And even and I mean, imagine you, how aggravated I was that I had to spend $300 on a ladder well, to that, get to the gutters. I can't believe a ladder costs that much. Okay. Well, you're taking Sorry. away from my... I know. I know. I'm just fixated on that. But yes, your bucket that I broke. Sorry. Yeah. I should probably replace it. Don't bother. There was a big eye roll if nobody noticed. <laughs> well, do you feel better having told me that? that yeah, but it made me bucket? really I wondered sad. why the bucket was out on the patio, but... Yeah, yeah. I was trying to use it yesterday and carry it from the inside to the outside, filled with water, holding the sides, because even though you said, well, when you pull down on the handle, it still works. Well, no, it, it doesn't. pressure. It puts yeah. pressure. No, it doesn't. Okay. No, it doesn't. It spills okay. all over. Yeah. Um, so I was just, I think it was just, I was reeling from, you know, that it spilled and made a mess and I had to clean it up and it just, I was really amazed at how quickly my mind went there. To back to, when I was drunk, I used yeah, to break things? Yeah. Break things, spill things, make messes. Yeah. Fix things, but fix things with too much Gorilla Glue and duct tape and act like it's okay that... I don't know if anybody uses Gorilla Glue. It puffs up and it stays. And uh, it's puffy and... Yeah, so... Yeah. 
Yeah. But so, okay. So it took you to a dark place. That's not surprising. But it, just right now, made, made you feel a little bit good about telling me that you were frustrated about the broken bucket handle? Well, I had worked through it mostly. And when you asked me later on today, why is this bucket out in the on the back porch? Just, I was going to say, who the hell needs two broken handled buckets? It's going in the garbage. And that was all I was going to say. I had planned it out. So I don't know if I feel better about telling you now. Okay. Do you feel like you were worried about telling me? No. Okay. I'm glad you weren't home last night. I'm glad you weren't home last night. I feel like last night I could have probably been really passive aggressive and cranky about it. And then it would have just... Yeah. But it's it's nice to, to be in an environment, isn't it? I'm trying to put words in your mouth here. Where you can tell me something that's frustrating you without worry about backlash. You're not worried that I was going to... I mean, you knew I would laugh at the fact that the, I thought the broken bucket would would still be fine. Because if there's pressure on the handle, then it stays in place. You knew I would laugh about that and not be mad about it, right? Well, you know, when I brought home an $8 bucket a few months ago, I didn't think you were going to be annoyed by it, and you were. So there still is some uncertainty, but I think that's normal marriage. I think you would probably, if we weren't doing the podcast, I think you would have been like, oh, that's ridiculous. It's just fine. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. So you think I reacted differently because people are listening? Or maybe you would have laughed, but you would have been like, don't throw away the bucket. It's fine. Well, I'm glad I thought so hard about this intro because it's not going as I had planned at all. The point of this episode is uh, that we talk all the time about how trust is so important in a relationship and also about how regaining trust after dealing with active alcoholism takes a long time. And while sobriety doesn't fix anything, sobriety is a prerequisite before the trust can start to be built. And we talk about time and say that, you know, you can't really rush the process. It just, it takes a while. But there is, there is something, there are some things, and one of them that you can do to speed up the process of rebuilding trust is to create a safe environment for communication. Making you feel safe, Sherry, to speak your truth has been a really important part of the process for you to begin to trust me again. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. And can I just say one thing? You can say lots of things. <laughs> it's it's a podcast. It's all about talking. I don't feel like I would have withheld if you were home last night and the situation happened. I don't feel like I would have been afraid and not trusting that I could say anything. Uh-huh. I was more afraid of what I was going to say. Right. Because I had had been around some bored boys and there was lots of nitpicking and aggravation from one another all afternoon. And, um, and listening to that frustrates you. It does. It frustrates me. Right. And um, so I feel like I probably would have, you know, and it was the end of the night kind of. So when the bucket water spilled, so I, I wish feel, I could have been here to see that. Feel like that would have just been the you know the icing on the cake. I and feel like a bucket would have come flying at me, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't think I. But the point is, I don't think I would have trusted myself right. to deliver the message properly. So I was almost a good thing that your game went into overtime, and I could like 
kind of get to my dark place and then get back around because by the time you got home at 10, I didn't even remember about the bucket. But even if you had, I mean, I got to say, <laughs> even if you had been mad about the bucket, all I would have done was laugh would've... about it. And, and then I probably would have been more mad. Yeah. yeah, and then maybe I would have would've been, made it, worse. it probably would have made me like mad, but laughing mad. Like insane sort of mad. I don't think any podcast. We this is probably the first time a podcast has ever, on two different episodes, talked this much about a bucket that's not sponsored by a bucket company. <laughs> I don't even know who makes the bucket, but um, they should really work on handle security because it's easy to break the handle. Well, on. and again, it was an eight dollar bucket, so it wasn't very sturdy. That's why well, that that's one, a cheap bucket. I'm. Eight buckets, eight dollars is kind of cheap for a bucket, and that's why I was trying to carry it without the handle. Well, our three hundred dollar ladder better never break. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I went ahead and kept the old bucket because it's sturdy. Good call. Good call. Okay, so back to the back to the topic. (laughs) Trust just takes time, but one way to speed up the process of rebuilding trust is to create a safe environment. And let's talk a little bit about what an unsafe environment looks like. As an active alcoholic, I dismissed and rejected, you know, if you wanted to tell me anything other than, you know, what was for dinner or that you had a good day, I wanted nothing to do with it. We've talked many times on the podcast about when you would bring things to me that were financial implications if if one of the kids needed $5,000 worth of orthodontics or something like that, that that would send me reeling back when I was drinking and you never knew exactly what kind of a reaction you would get, but it would most likely be some kind of a negative reaction and therefore not create a safe environment for you to talk about it. But I was constantly in smaller ways than, than some kind of a big financial impact. In many other smaller ways, I was constantly dismissing and rejecting you when you would bring stuff to me to talk to me about. And I can't even imagine how hard that was to to have communication and conversation. You know, and, and as I think back to what, what was going on in my mindset, this is not to justify or make excuses, but I do think it's important for our listeners to understand what it's like in the mind of an alcoholic when, you know, you're trying to hold it all together and this doesn't necessarily have to be when you are actively drinking, when you're drunk. It's just the the mind of an alcoholic is so warped that even in sober periods, in between drinking sessions, the mind still operates this way. I mean, I I would I I really didn't like disruption to my patterns, and and maybe that was in part because I'm trying to get through work and family responsibilities so that I can get to drinking. And anything that's going to disrupt my plan for work and family responsibilities is going to disrupt my drinking. So maybe that's the reason I so I was so bad at handling any kind of disruption that you would bring to me. I mean, it could be, you know, hey, uh, one of the kids wants to go to a movie with a friend. Can you give him a ride? And, you know, now I legitimately enjoy that kind of stuff. I enjoy riding in the car with our kids and and one of their friends. I enjoy driving places. But at the time when I was drinking, you know, all the all the dominoes had to be set up in a certain order so that I could keep everything on track and get to the next 
the next drinking session or just 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 keep it all lined up and I just wasn't mentally emotionally capable of handling even the most minor disruption so things like that you know you asking me to run an errand or drive the kids somewhere I mean I might have done it I might have reluctantly done it but it would create this frustration in me I'd probably be a a grumpy sad sack walking around here and just make the environment even less appealing to be in so the last thing that it was was a safe environment for you I mean you know the excuses that I would use is you know I'm so stressed I'm so burdened I've got all this work that I've got to deal with and and you wouldn't understand Sherry you know these are the kinds of things that I would say another piece of the puzzle though is that I was also exerting control trying to exert control when you're when you're in an alcoholic relationship both sides of the both parties are constantly trying to control the uncontrollable and and it has a lot to do with trying to maintain the facade of there's nothing to see here everything's fine so you know I didn't want disruptions I didn't want you to communicate things that were going to change my plan for the day week month year I wanted to just keep going and you know pushing ahead with whatever my plan was without without you altering it in any way and it's not just because I was so stressed and burdened and I couldn't wait to get to the next drinking session I also just wanted control and I know you as a codependent wanted control as well and so those are two two kind of control freaks butting heads and that's not a good place to be you know and then and then another thing when I was thinking of the many reasons why I did not as an active alcoholic create a safe place for you to speak your truth or to bring issues up to me another thing is I just and this is hard for me to say out loud I didn't think you were that smart and I thought I had it all figured out I thought I knew what we needed to do as a family what we needed to do career-wise and if you would just go along with the plan everything would be fine and so when you would bring ideas to me or suggestions I just looked at it as something I could you know swat away like a fly and then keep doing it my way and one of the things that's been the greatest blessing of sobriety is that I've learn to respect how incredibly intelligent you are and how much you have to offer just by learning to be a listener instead of a constant talker I think I'm going on seven minutes now without you saying a word <laughs> that's why I asked earlier can I just say something <laughs> there's a question coming here in a second but it's been a huge blessing to realize how smart you are and and if I just take your suggestions things go a lot better but staying in the in the scene from when I was actively drinking, there are some examples that I want to talk about of me just dismissing you. And again, it's because I wanted to be in control. It's because I was so stressed. I didn't want any disruptions to my pattern. And I didn't think you had all that much to offer. Really hard for me to admit that. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but I want to talk about the chewing gum example again because it's so incredibly embarrassing to me. And I just feel like I'm in a self-deprecating mood right now, I guess. <laughs> Have we talked about this on the podcast? I think so. I know we talked about it. I that. didn't like when the kids would chew gum. Yeah. 
And I don't honestly remember why. I can. Okay. That's why. Let's let's hear from you, Sherry. I've well, talked too much. <laughs> so, you know, on car trips and plane rides and that sort of stuff, like with the popping of the ears or just boredom, or the kids would be bored, you know, at home. Like, oh, and they would think they need a snack. And I, after they got older, yes. you know, like seven, six, seven, I like had offered them a piece of gum one time. And you were just like, what are you doing? That's just going to get into it. That's going to turn into a habit. So, said, wait a minute. You- the guy who had the alcohol habit was worried that the kids were going to develop a gum-chewing habit. Yeah. That's legitimately what I said? Yeah. Wow. You're like, oh, it's just a bad habit. It's just a bad habit. And I was like, oh, why did you, like... Because as a kid, I would fall asleep with gum in my mouth, and then it would get... Did you choke to death? No, I did Obviously, I didn't choke to death. Well, I'm sure that was one of my concerns. I have lots of bald spots in Captain my hair. Captain Safety over here. I'm sure that yeah, was one so, of my concerns. Well, and I said, well, I'm not going to let cut it him, out of your hair? Yeah, I had to cut it out of the hair, or the peanut butter, or mayonnaise, all that sort of stuff trying to Wait, you had to get, cut the gum out of the well, peanut butter? Well, you would sometimes put, like, peanut butter in there to try to get the gum out, or mayonnaise or something. Like, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, But I was like, you know, it just, we're just in the car, and I don't remember. I'm like, I'm not going to let him sleep. With it, and you're like, oh well, you know, I I used to Did just I chew gum, gum all was the time. Expensive, too? no, <laughs> cheap ass. Um, but no, you're I'm gonna need to save up for an eight dollar bucket someday. <laughs> um, but I just remember, I thought, oh my gosh, and you're like, oh, I used to chew gum all the time, all the time, too much of it. Like you were just so adamant that they were gonna turn into these like gum addicts. <laughs> They're going to have to go to GA meetings. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't yeah. make fun of addiction, should I? It's no. bad to do on this podcast. But then I was like, well, you know, and I and I realized it was just, you're just being an asshole to be an asshole. Like, Basically, That's yes. really what it was. Yeah. It was just dumb and there was no argument and your counter argument was, I used to chew gum all the time and it became such a bad habit. When I was well, in- who cares what you did? I am controlling the gum supply here. I'm the gum dealer, okay? I'm not going to let it go crazy. When I was in middle school shop class, <laughs> I had a shop teacher that said to me once, Salas, because he couldn't pronounce my last name, which is pronounced Salas. Salas, stop chewing your gum like a cow. Well. And so... About an hour later, or half hour later, he said, Salas, I thought I told you to spit out your gum. And I said, no, you told me to stop chewing it like a cow. And that, that didn't go over well. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I, uh, I oh, smart alecky middle schooler? No. I got no. in trouble for that. Well, you know, you didn't know the nuances But I didn't want up. our kids to get in trouble for chewing gum like a cow. I was just trying to protect them. Yes. Well, anytime out of the rooms yes. of GA. Yes, exactly. So I thought, oh, that's just you just trying to be bossy for no good reason. Hundred percent. It was control. No it was. I probably, honestly, honestly, I probably did think about the money. I was probably like, there's no nutritional value to gum. So if she's going to spend forty nine cents once every two weeks on the kids chewing gum. That's coming right out of their college well, fund. Let's just go, but let's fast forward to you for a moment about the gum. Okay. 
Yeah, it wouldn't be 49 cents every two weeks because when you do chew gum, you chew three pieces of gum. Like we're talking trident size. And so when I dole out gum now, because yes, they are allowed to chew gum and they have gum now. Gum but you great. get three pieces and I'm like, that is too much. I like the mix too. I like a mint and yeah, a Yeah, and that's berry gross. That's at the gross. Same time. Gross. Do that just because I know it's going to. And then you. you do chew your gum very loud. Yeah. But only for like 30 seconds, then I spit all three pieces out because they've lost their flavor. <laughs> yeah. You chew it and so wasteful. hard, so fast, so loud. Oh, you that would you think use I it was up. A billionaire the way I chew gum. <laughs> I am a gum chewing billionaire. You're it's being crazy. sassy now. But I don't blame you for. I don't want the kids to chew gum the way you chew gum, but. You know, but it they know how to chew gum. But we, it was just so silly. It was, but and it definitely wasn't like like why should you have to fight your husband over gum chewing? It definitely wasn't a safe place that I created. I mean, it must have made you once you knew my stance on gum. My stance on gum. It must have made you nervous if you would <laughs> give him gum, or you know, if the subject would come up because you knew I was going to have this negative reaction. Did it make you uncomfortable? It made me uncomfortable. It made me feel like we lived in a house where you were just in control. And like a it had to be your way or no way. Yeah. And then I thought, oh my God, he is an asshole or he's a moron or both. both. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely wasn't a safe environment for you to, to <laughs> communicate or to operate. You know, another... Another one, and, and this is actually a little different twist on, you know, I talked about how as an, as an active alcoholic, I didn't want my pattern disrupted. I wanted to be in control. I was stressed and burdened from work, and I didn't think that much of your opinions. I didn't think you were that intelligent. But there's another one, too. I also often, it was easy to bruise my ego. It was really easy to hurt my feelings and make me feel bad about myself. I have come to believe, you know, with increasing conviction that the opposite of addiction is not connection as is popularly believed in the addiction community, the recovery community, and was first, um, you know, stated by Johan Hari in a TED Talk in 2015. I believed that for a lot of years, but I'm I'm increasingly convinced that the opposite of addiction is not connection. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety either. The opposite of addiction is self-esteem. And when we feel good about ourselves, we don't need to medicate. And that's what it comes down to, feeling good about ourselves. When we feel good about ourselves, we don't need to medicate. And another thing that would make this an unsafe environment for you to communicate in is if anything that you wanted to talk to me about might make me feel a little bit bad about myself. And that happened a lot. Yes. And one of the topics that sits heavy with me and that I remember distinctly is, you know, we, every year we would take the kids and we would go to your mom's house to see your mom and sister and your extended family, your nephews and everybody. That would be one trip to Indiana from Denver. We would also go to South Carolina to see my family, my parents and my sister and her family. And that would be another trip that we would take from Denver. But for years, you had said, we need to take a family vacation where it's just the family. Now that's 
you know, just our immediate family, just the the Salus six, us and our four kids. That would offend me so much when you would say that because it would make me feel like, you know, we didn't have enough income or savings to afford a family vacation for just the six of us. That wasn't what you were saying. You weren't looking for anything expensive necessarily. You just wanted a way for the six of us to get away and not have it be a pilgrimage to the grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I took great offense to that. It, it, it hit me like a shot to my self-esteem because I didn't make enough money to fly us all to Hawaii. Yeah. That's, and that's how it made me feel. Yeah. And even when I would try to say, no, not like that at all. Like, cause we owned a, our own business and you know, we were gone for a week and a half sometimes or two weeks total in the summer, depending on how much time we had to go to Indiana and to your in South parents. Carolina. Um, you know, so I was like, gosh, it could have just been a long weekend, you know, or something just local in the state. Go to see. But I couldn't hear those details. No. I couldn't hear the specifics said, of what you wanted to do. I was immediately offended. We should do something with just us. You were like, I'm not providing you with enough. And it's because, I mean, I couldn't access this information at the time, but now looking back, it's very clear to me it was because... My self-esteem was so low and I was propping myself up with alcohol. I'd feel bad about myself, feel bad about myself, feel bad about myself. And then I would drink to make it go away. And then I'd feel bad about myself because I drank too much. And that would make me want to drink again. And it was just this this endless cycle of, again, low self-esteem that created more drinking, that created more low self-esteem. And anything that you brought to me you, you know, you were in danger of being caught in that cycle and getting the backlash from doesn't matter how innocent, whatever it was you wanted to talk to me about was um, the chances that it would make me feel bad about myself were really high. Cause I just, it's <laughs> my bucket was so empty. <laughs> yeah. That's maybe my, why I hate buckets. Maybe so stupid book. I had no, I had no self-esteem in my self-esteem bucket. You know, and, and I think this is a really interesting concept because I was proud of what we did for a living. I was proud of the work we did. I was proud of our work in the community. I was proud of how we were raising our kids. So, you know, you can be, you can be externally proud at the same time as you are internally completely depleted from a self-esteem standpoint. You know, some, some obvious kind of famous examples... I mean, there are lots of rich, powerful, famous people that are miserable. And so their wealth and their fame and their power obviously isn't bringing them any kind of joy or pride. The kind of, the, you know, I think self-esteem and pride, they get a bad rap. Some, some people look at those terms and think, um, think of it as being boastful or arrogant or narcissistic Mm-hmm. I, that, that's Ego not the is another of, one that has a lot of yeah, bad rap. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm, right. I'm not talking about some kind of uh, seeking external glorification right. or the admiration of the people around you. When I'm talking about self-esteem and pride, I'm talking about waking up in the morning and being happy with the way you're living your life and just feeling good about yourself. And if yeah. you decide to to go for a run instead of starting work right away... Not beating yourself up because that's the kind of thing that for many years I would have beat myself up about. 
like, hey, I gotta get, I gotta get to work. That's that's get the where ground feet running because that, that outward external success that I'm working right. really hard. That's right. You know, that's right. That's where my my not even self esteem, just my self worth. Yeah, something like that. that. That's where the external view of who I was as a human being comes from. So I got to make it look good. You know, I don't want anyone to think think of me as an alcoholic for sure, or anyone with any kind of problems. Now I don't care what kind of problems people know that I have. Um, I feel good about myself because of the decisions that I'm making and the way I'm living and the way I'm trying to support you and the rest of the family, not just financially, but emotionally. And that, that bucket starts to fill up. And all of a sudden you can say, Hey Matt, how about a little family vacation? Just the six of us. And I'll say, where do you want to go? Let's figure this out. And I mean, that's a true story. This is, we're not, whenever we give examples on the podcast, we don't make them up which is evidenced by the fact that we constantly refer to the bucket, yeah. which is well, I can, not all that exciting I can give example. a concrete example of a time when I approached you about a family vacation and it went awry. Let's go. Let's hear it. We were on our road trip pilgrimage to Indiana. Now, yes. that's where both of us kind of grew up. I stayed there my whole life. You moved away as a, as a middle schooler, and your parents weren't from there. But part of that um, experience of going to Indiana was at Memorial Day, for the Indianapolis 500. And we were going there. We see my family. Go to the Indianapolis 500. Tickets are not cheap. Right. And this was a particularly hard financial year with the bakery. And you were not sharing. Because you didn't want to burden and stress me out. Because you know it. I, it does stress me out when yeah. we talk about finances. So I had said something in the way of, you know what would be really nice is sometime we could just do this just for us. And not have to go and because it's stressful splitting your time between friends and the 500 and family and getting everybody seen on my side of the family is stressful. So I said it would be nice if we could just take like a little family vacation, just the six of us, and we weren't always going to do what everybody else wanted us to do and have these expectations, and we just do what we wanted to do. Right. I thought you were gonna like just. The wreck of the car. You were just so mad. Like, just, I could just see your knuckles go white. And you were like, you have no idea. And like, just laid into me about the finances. And it was awful. And I never brought it up again. But I kept thinking, you know, if we could create some good memories for the kids, because inevitably, there would be an argument when we would go to Indiana. They would see their dad really drunk at the 500, um, the race day or the night before. Um, and then when we would go to your parents, there would be some time in the week where you would be extra drunk or snippy or you and I would get into an argument because it is stressful being around family, extended family that you don't live with. And... That's all I was thinking. Just layering a couple of good memories of it just being us. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I understand the financial impact and the stress because 
they weren't cheap trips, you know, they weren't like, you know, staying in Hawaii or going out of town or out of the country kind of expensive trips, but the time and energy and effort it took to travel with six of us was costly. But that, you know, that's the kind of, in every discussion, in every conversation, there are going to be components of it that you feel good about and components of it that you don't feel as good about. And when you're mentally stable, you can weather that. You can deal with, like, like I, I can now have any conversation you'd like to have about us just taking a family vacation. And I can see, oh, it would bring joy to the kids. Oh, we would be seeing a part of the country we haven't seen before. Um, you know, oh, this would be, this would be an adventure. And at these kids' current ages, they would really get a lot out of that particular adventure that you've suggested. Mm -hmm. Oh, but also that's going to cost money. And so we got a budget for it. You you know, we've got to consider the time off. How's the timing going to work with the variety of jobs that you and I have? How's the timing going to work with all the kids' social schedules and work schedules and Mm -hmm. sports schedules? So you couldn't even get to a point of like asking questions or hearing me out. You just went straight to how it was going to impact you and and how it was negatively, how you were negatively feeling, I guess. Well, it's because there was no self-esteem. I had, I had, you know, the way I thought of myself, whether, you know, I didn't say this out loud, but deep down the way I thought of myself was as an alcoholic who didn't make enough money. (coughs) And so, you know, your suggestion that we do something, just the six of us, just hit that, that open nerve that there was no, there was nothing there to protect me from, you know, from my own fragility, basically. Yeah. Because I didn't have, I didn't have any good feelings about myself. The only thing that made me feel good was alcohol. So if I had a buzz going and I wasn't, you know, off the deep end drunk, which I honestly, I spent most of my time with a buzz going, not the, not off the deep end drunk. Right. So if I had that, you know, God knows how I would have reacted because temperament is unpredictable with someone who's been drinking. It certainly was for me, but at least I would have felt a little better about myself while I was buzzed. When, when I was sober, you know, that. It was like living on a razor's edge. We talk all the time in our Echoes of Recovery group about walking on eggshells. And that's what it's like to be around an active alcoholic, whether they're drinking or they're sober at the moment. They're just, there's no, there's so much volatility. And the reason for the so much volatility, in my humble opinion, and in my example is because I got no self-esteem. I got no, I got externals I can point to. I can point, and I used to do this all the time. The cars are paid off, Sherry. We live in this nice house and, you know, uh, we're doing good on our mortgage. And look at this look at this business that we own. Just the two of us. We own it on our own. We're figuring it out. I could point to all those externals. But that had nothing to do with how I felt on the inside. And maybe one of the reasons that I would point those things out to you all the time was because I was trying to make myself feel better mm-hmm. by justifying the you know, with the externals justifying that we were fine when we weren't fine at all. 
I don't know. But yeah, that, that family vacation example is, I mean, I remember it well. You remember it better than I do. You remember it more vividly and painfully. Thank you for sharing that. Can you think of any examples? I've got one as a backup if you can't, because I, I know that this is a completely unscripted podcast. I make some notes for myself, but you have absolutely no, you're given no preparation. And then I sit here for an hour and put you on the spot, which I I kind of delight in. <laughs> but so you have no preparation. But can you think of any examples of how it's better now? Can you think of something that you've brought to me and you felt like it was a safe place to bring a hard conversation, you know, financial or otherwise, and um, you've been rewarded for hoping that it would be a safe safe environment because I didn't go off the deep end? I can think of a lot, but... Um, Ooh. I mean, a lot, lot of small stuff, and I'm trying to think how I would be rewarded, I guess, by... Well, just because I didn't go lurch out at you. Yeah. So there's a lot of those... That's what I mean by rewarded. Yeah. I wanted to make sure. Not like um, given a cookie or anything. Yeah. Here's some ice cream. I would like that. Um, so recently we were having a really hard conversation with our oldest and I feel like, I feel like I'm just, sometimes I'm just more in tune with the kids in a way and maybe especially with our oldest because I just feel like I'm obviously known her longer and I know that she, that was the chair. Um, what do you mean you've known her longer? Because she's she's the oldest, so she's been alive the longest. Oh, you've known her older than the other. Yes, kids. I've I known her nineteen years versus our youngest. I've known eleven years. So. Sounded like you were saying you've known her longer than me. <laughs> well, actually, I kind of have. You okay, know, like the whole in utero thing. Yeah, maybe trying to take credit for childbirth <laughs> again. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You deserve. That's hard. I I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, you know, and you you traveled and worked a lot. And so I was home more. So I feel like I know our kids' personalities. And, and the and the oldest, they share a little bit more with me than they do with you. Um, so we were trying to have a kind of a difficult conversation the Be, other night. Before you go there, I think the reason they share more with you than they do with me, I mean, I don't think that's uncommon in a family dynamic for the mom to get unloaded upon a little bit more than the, the father. But it's a hundred percent because you create a, a really safe environment for them to communicate. And I have at times created a less safe environment, either because of alcoholism or just because I'm a little stricter on the discipline side, even now in sobriety. So it's just not as safe an environment for the kids to, to come to me safer for you. Yeah. So so the part of the conversation we were having with our oldest, um, you know, going through our process of healing and discovery, I have noticed there were some codependency tendencies that they were exhibiting. And we were just like trying to figure out a timeline and an approach about when to have this conversation and how much we should push, how much we shouldn't push. And Matt, you are one to never shy away from a tough conversation. 
You want to get in there, roll up your sleeves, work on it immediately. And I just knew that that was not going to work in the time frame. I understand the urgency of trying to get get take care of some business with this, but it just wasn't going to work well. And I we had our 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 weekly talk and I kind of told you that that I think that that should be some of the approach and you were very receptive to it and then I basically wanted to talk to her about eight things all in one Yeah, that's like and, overkill. And you cut me down to two things. You said, "Let's just how about just talk to her about these two things." Yeah, cuz cuz and coming from it from the other side of it, like you would be like we got to do this, this, this and this, Sherry, to fix the relationship. You know, work on these. Well, that's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I talked to you about that and that was good and then when we why was it good because you i mean i felt like shit still kind of like saying out loud because i knew you had put a lot of thought into it so i feel like i'm discounting and discrediting your thoughts and ideas and your thought process but i just knew that i just knew in my heart that that would be too much because i've been there I know what it's like to get overwhelmed with all these things that you have to work on or do or take care of. And it's just, it's, you know, it's overwhelming. So I felt bad, but I felt good because I don't feel like you, you didn't get your feelings hurt. You listened why I said that. And then when we approached the conversation, um, you kind of, let me, like, I started talking, and you talked, and then I could see in her that she was starting to get a little stressed, so I kind of took over the conversation, mm-hmm. and I feel like it just made it a little softer, so, and I could see that, um, that you weren't upset about me, you know, kind of leading the conversation. I was actually thankful in the moment because I was more angry than I realized when we started talking to her. And um, I was relieved that you were talking because I I didn't know what I was going to... I didn't know what I was going to say or how I was going to... what direction I was going to lead the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I was very thankful to have you in that moment to... To take over. And, you know, this goes back to what I said earlier. When when I was actively an alcoholic, I would have 100% taken control of that whole situation. And I frankly, if you had said, Matt, don't talk to her about these eight things. Let's trim it down to the two most important. Let's start there. I would have thought of, I mean, again, I feel horrible saying this, but I would have thought, that's so stupid, Sherry. Why, why would we... Let six other things linger. Let's talk about it all right now. God, you don't know what you're talking about. That's how I would have thought about you in that moment. And instead, you know, when you, when you made that suggestion, I, I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than to tell you I just have a great deal more respect for you and I have a great deal of respect for the relationship you have with our kids. And I said, well... Sherry's maintained a great relationship with our kids for all these years. She's probably on to something. 
And, you know, and it was more than that. I was also thinking about it'll make you, Sherry, feel better if I only talk to her about these two things. And I want you to feel good and comfortable about the whole thing as well. So, so yes, for our daughter, it's probably the best avenue to go down. But for for the strength strengthening of the relationship with my wife, it's definitely the best avenue to go down because she just suggested it. And if I ignore her suggestion, that's going to, again, create this unsafe environment for her to bring things to me and make suggestions. Yeah. And then on a lighter note. Yes. Since we had something heavy that we talked about. But just the last, like, couple weeks of school for 2021 wrapped up and it was kind of a normal busy kind of end of school year and we had a kid two kids continuing on from their current schools like continuation um for the eighth grader and a continuation for a fifth grader and you kind of let me plan some events and some little activities and gatherings to celebrate those kids because normally we would be like rushing off to indiana for the uh Indianapolis 500 for Memorial Day weekend or somehow trying to get back. I don't know. It would have been a nightmare and a mess and it didn't happen. We didn't go this year because I still don't think it's a wise idea. So um, you let me kind of take lead on some of those things and you were not grouchy about them and you didn't like question, this is just a fifth grade continuation. Why are you having a little party for him and his friends? So... That was actually going to be my example, Sherry. Oh, sorry. No, I'm, it's great that you went there. Yeah. I was going to say that um, for his continuation party, the the idea, which was brilliant, was we'll do an outdoor movie. You wanted to you know, hang a sheet on the side of the house and... Fence, and a, but okay. Sorry, and get a projector and um, do an outdoor movie, which sounds great. But it's mid-June, so um, neither of us thought it through and realized, you know, the sun goes down about 9.30 this time of year, so, okay. and it you was a just, Sunday night. Oh, you just exaggerate, just a teeny bit, but... Okay, okay. teeny bit of exaggeration, but the sun goes down late, and this was going to be a Sunday night, and um, so we we made the, the change to say we'll do the movie in the garage, mm-hmm. and so... There were some technical issues, like the Wi-Fi doesn't reach all the way out there, and so we had to get an extender and get that to work, and um, we had to hang towels and and sheets and stuff over the windows in the garage so that it was dark enough in there. And you let me do all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, and again, back when I was drinking, I would have been bitching at you and complaining, this was such a stupid idea, I can't believe all the work that we've got to go through for a... Stupid movie, which frankly, they only watched about half of because they were, you know, they would just, they'd watch for a while and then they'd come out and play some more in the yard, which is fine. Yeah, which was fine because it was a little hot in the garage, but yeah, so I, my Even plan Even though I did was, go get a fan yes, to clear the, yes. Our, our, our five inch fan because well, that's another fan thing. that we have. Gums and fan. You hate fans. You didn't I want them to, to like, I like didn't want the now. little fingers to get in the plastic fan, so there's. Um, a lot of paranoia. A yeah. lot of paranoia with alcoholism. Yes, paranoia. But um, I get it. Like, I, I felt, I did feel guilty. Like, saying, here, I want to plan this. And now my plans aren't working out. And normally in the past, I would have been, codependency would have sunk in. I would have been, like, full on, like, trying to, you know, 
appease you and apologize over and over and frustrate you more by me like wanting to jump in and help with whatever you need to do let me know you know but you were just like just let me take care of it and I'm like okay fine you do that I'll work on the food and um I'll let you take care of doing the garage so even though I didn't and there was even though I didn't ask you to be a part of this, and I even kept saying at the beginning, I'm, it's just going to be movie outside. I'm going to use the projector from work because I know how to do it. Blah, blah, blah. You don't, you don't need to do anything, really. In fact, we're going to like not cook the hot dogs on the grill. We're going to do it a different way. So to keep you excluded, just to make it easy, maybe that was me being... But did it feel like when there were some adjustments that had to happen because it wasn't going to be able to be a movie outside and... <laughs> We had to figure out how to get the Wi-Fi to go that far. Like, did it, I don't know, did that bring up your old uh, defense mechanism of, did you did you start to panic that I was going to freak out like I would have back when no, I was No, I think I apologized like once, like, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't even think about the Wi-Fi not reaching the garage or, you know, out there or it's still being too light. Um, so. So did it feel like it a safe environment? It felt like a safe environment. And I felt like. And I'm not saying this because I wanted to boost your ego. I felt like, yeah, he knows what he needs to do to get the Wi-Fi going out there. I would have probably never thought about covering up the windows until the movie started. And then it would still have been too bright. So, you were definitely Johnny on the spot and you had a plan. And I was like, go for it. I'm just relieved that you feel, you know, you feel comfortable doing things like this for our kids. Because it is for the benefit of the kids. Whereas I'm confident that back when I was drinking, or even in the earliest part of sobriety, you would not have taken on these projects because there was another there was another party in the park too that you threw, and you would not have been involved in those things because you would have been afraid of what my reaction would have been. Mm-hmm. Or if you would have pushed through for the benefit of the kids, you would have been kind of terrified in doing so because you would have been afraid that I would talk about you know whether it's money or time. Or that it's silly because it's a continuation and not a graduation. Any of those things were certainly possible to have come out of my pie hole when I was a drinker. So I take a great deal of pride not in the fact that I figured out how to get the Wi-Fi to the garage. But a great deal of pride that you trusted me enough to talk about it and to go forward with your plans. and, And do this for the sake and benefit of our kids. Um, without fear of what your lunatic husband was going to do. And this, you know, I want to go back to our oldest for a second because this idea of creating a safe environment is so important, not just for you, the wife of an alcoholic, but for the kids as well. We are learning more and more about the impact of my alcoholism on our kids and just in general, the impact of alcoholism on children You know, you and I take a great deal of pride in the fact that, or I shouldn't say that. I used to take a great deal of pride in the fact that we kept the the repercussions of my alcoholism away from the kids for the most part. We could only identify a few times and places where we argued too loud or, you know, bad things happened in front of the kids. And with the exception of those few times that I apologized for and feel terrible about, We thought we had done a good job, but it's so much more than yelling and screaming in front of the kids. It's me walking around in a sour mood on a Sunday night because I 
because that's what I did. I got drunk and grumpy on Sunday nights. Um, me just detaching from the family and not participating in activities. These are things that the kids intuitively pick up on. Or that my I, stress level. and Or your stress level because you're dealing with it. and yeah. sadness. These are the things that I always discounted and said, oh, there was no real trauma. But yes, that creates trauma. Because the kids never know what kind of environment is they're living in. And they certainly don't view it as a safe environment. So the story that you told about our oldest was the follow-up to the initial conversation, which was a, a conversation between me and my daughter when she completely let me have it. Um, unloaded on me and shared her honest truth about how she felt about back when I was drinking and the trauma that it created for her. And at the time when she was doing it, you know, there were a bunch of things running through my head. In part, I felt like, fine, you know, speak your piece. That's good. Um, I did say to her that she was blow, not blowing it out of proportion, but, but that her memory was that it was bad all the time. And it really wasn't bad all the time. I told her she was remembering it wrong, basically. And I was later chastised by my good friend, um, Catherine Craig, who was on episode 77 of our podcast. She did a marvelous job uh, talking about ACEs, uh, adverse childhood experiences, and what we can do about them. But I, I sought help from Catherine after this conversation, and she said, oh... I told her I downplayed the trauma that my daughter experienced, and she said, you done fucked up. You <laughs> do that. Not on a professional note, but just from a professional output, but a friend to say that you really screwed this one. I love my friend Catherine That Craig was great. I loved it, because I was like, that's really awesome. But I was feeling bad about this experience where Catherine unloaded on me, Catherine, our daughter, unloaded on me, and Catherine, our friend, said to me, Matt, that that was so good. It was so good that the environment has improved so much in your family that she feels comfortable telling it like it is and just letting you have it without fear of what you're going to say or what you're going to do to her, or how she's going to be punished. Well, I and, think she had fear. I mean, and worry and concern. It just it was time for it to be let out. Yeah, I don't disagree. But, okay, so the environment isn't perfect, but it's safe enough that she was able to say what she thought without, um, you know, maybe with fear, but she was able to get over that hump anyway and say it. Whereas I think in the past, um, she would have just held that in. And holding it in is not healthy in any way. So I looked at that situation incorrectly. I looked at that as a negative uh, event for our family, a negative event for my daughter and myself. But now, after getting some advice from a professional and someone that we love dearly, um, I realized, wow, that was big. That was a big kind of monumental moment that she was able, that my daughter was able to speak her truth. And, um, and even though I messed up by telling her and downplaying her trauma, um, that was, I guess, my only big mess up sitting there and taking it was really good. And uh, she was, I guess, you know, using that word rewarded. Our daughter was rewarded for taking that chance and letting me have it by not being 
chastised or punished or anything. I mean, she's 19. There's not a lot of punishing going on, but um, I didn't lash out back at her. I just took it. And so that's what that's what this is all about. If we want to build trust in our relationships, whether they be our romantic relationships, our marriages, or the relationships with our kids, or anybody else, if we want to rebuild trust in a relationship that's been severely wounded by alcoholism, there's a huge time component that we can do nothing about. But there's also a safety component that we can do something about. We can create a safe environment, which means... Now I'm speaking directly to the alcoholics out there, the alcoholics in recovery, hopefully. You know, you don't have a lot of self-esteem in early recovery. You've got to get to the point where the things that the people say to us when they're speaking their truth, they either don't hurt our feelings or we manage the pain of the hurt feelings better. And we accept that just because uh, it might make us feel bad about ourselves, um, that doesn't mean it's not true and that doesn't mean that it's not important that the person saying the things they're saying, that they have the opportunity to say those things because it is, it is important. Creating that environment is one of the very best things that we can do. Creating that environment of safety for the uh, rebuilding of trust and thus the resurrection of our relationships. You feel pretty good about it where we are right now, Sherry? Mm-hmm. Got more work to do? I think we have a little bit more work to do, but I have to work on myself a little bit more. Trust myself a little bit more. Hopefully don't go to the dark places so quickly over uh, uh, spilled water. I think the best thing that we can do for our marriage at this point is to buy five or six buckets <laughs> and just have them, have them ready, ready for when something bad happens. You know, like, like a bucket full of wet leaves the handle breaks off because it's hanging from the ladder precariously. Well, see, then again, I bought a cheap-ass bucket and thought and put a lot of emphasis, like, I got a new bucket. How exciting. Five or six, top drawer, top-of-the-line buckets. I think I'm just going to stick with my old broken one. Hmm. It's sturdy. It's got a lip. I'm just, I'm just going like, to be happy with the one that I've I, had for 15 years. I don't know if you're talking about the bucket or your old broken <laughs> husband, but thanks for sticking around. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.